You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church in Lumberton, North Carolina. You can join us each Sunday morning at 1045 Eastern Standard Time at hydepark.online.church. Father in heaven, uh, we just have to pause and say thank you for your grace. That I will never be alone. Father, there's some dark paths we have to walk. And there's some uh, valleys we have to go through. But even in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your presence is there with me in the dark places. And it's because of your grace, not because of anything that I've done. For Father, you pursued me. You pursued every person in this building. Some of them, some of them, have surrendered to that relentless love. Some of them have experienced your grace full and free. Some of them here this morning and those watching online know what it's like to be set free. And Father, it is because of your grace pursuing us, not because we pursued you, that your goodness and mercy followed us. And Lord, you forgave us of a great many sins and a great much rebellion and a great darkness in our life. And Father, we didn't deserve any of that. But Lord, from a fountain drawn from Emmanuel's veins, we have found forgiveness and freedom from our rebellion and sin. And Father, the world has nothing to offer, nothing to offer. Just more condemnation, more hatred, more division, more anger more depression, more anxiety. Father, the world promises much, but it delivers on nothing. Father, you promise and you deliver far abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. Father, for the one sitting in this place today and watching online today that feels like and believes the lie that they have gone too far, that whatever sin they've been participating in, whatever rebellion they've been in, that that they have believe the Allah that says that they have gone too far. So therefore, Father, they, they will sing the songs and, and they'll participate, but Father, deep down inside, they believe that there is a great goal fixed between you and them that can never be breached. But then we cast our eyes on the cross and we see there a dying Savior dying for nothing that he did, but for what we did. And we see there in that moment, Lord, that that what you did there was sufficient. What you did there was an act of grace. And what you did there welcomes all to come and be forgiven and set free. There is none beyond grace. There is none that have gone too far. There is none that the good news can't transform. For Father, sitting in this room and watching online are many who've been brought from a deep, dark place And we've been set upon a rock, never to be alone again. And that is a work of your grace. And we give you praise. We are grateful for it. We realize we couldn't have pulled ourselves out of that pit. It is only by your hand that is strong and mighty that could have ever delivered us from that dark place. So, Father, this morning we worship you. And we thank you. And we praise you. For your name is above every name. Father, may those who've not experienced that grace experience it today. We love you. We thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah 23. God's speaking to Jeremiah and is going to, between Jeremiah's observations of the land and between what God is going to say to him, we're going to find out that Not only do we have a rebellious nation, but we have some key leaders in that nation who are actually leading the charge. We're going to find out that the very people that God had set apart to lead and shepherd and speak to the nation the truth had abandoned their post. And what we're going to see in this text is that not only is false teaching and false prophets a problem in Jeremiah's day, it's a problem today. So let's pick it up in verse 29, Jeremiah 23. I've got several verses I want to read here, so just kind of 
Come hang with me here. Jeremiah 23, verse 9. Concerning the prophets, my heart is broken within me and all my bones shake. I am like a drunken man, like a man overcome by wine because of the Lord and because of his holy words. This is Jeremiah speaking as he looks at the land and all this happening. For the land is full of adulterers. Because of the curse, the land mourns and the pastures of the wilderness are dried up. Their course is evil and their might is not right. Both prophet and priest are ungodly. Even in the house I have found their evil, declares the Lord. Therefore their way shall be to them like slippery paths in the darkness into which they shall be driven and fall. For I will bring disaster upon them. And in the year of their punishment, declares the Lord, in the prophets of Samaria, I saw an unsavory thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people astray, my people Israel astray. But in the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. And all of them have become like Sodom to me and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts and concerning the prophets, behold, I will feed them with bitter food and I will give them poisoned water to drink from the prophets of Jerusalem. Ungodliness has gone out into the land. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster will come upon you. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and to hear his word, who has paid attention to his word or listened? Behold, the storm of the Lord, wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of his heart. And in the latter days, you will understand it clearly. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to the people, and they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. Father, guide us in your word this morning. We need your grace, not just when we came to faith and we're saved, but Father, we need your grace every day. We need your grace now as we read your text, because Father, we don't want to just be hearers of the word. We want to be doers. We want to live by faith and not by sight. So Father, I pray that what is what we see in your word today, that the Holy Spirit would take it and apply it to our life, that we may live differently as a result. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. There was a guy who wrote an article for the Washington Post in 2019. His name's Timothy Bill. And Timothy Bill is a, is a professor at Case Western University in Cleveland, Ohio. And Timothy Bill teaches religion classes in that, in that college. And that college is known for research. That's what they're kind of known for. And one of the things that he observed in his religion classes is that more and more students that came into his class no longer identified with any particular religion. We call them today the nuns, not N-U-N-S, but N-O-N-E-S. Basically, those between the ages of 18 and 29, I think it probably goes definitely a little younger, but specifically between the ages of 18 and 29 today, more often than not, matter of fact, somewhere right around 50%, 51%, will say to you that they really have no belief, they have no religion, they have nothing that they actually believe in past themselves. Now, I'll also argue that they do believe in something and they do have faith in something. But when they, when they fill out the census report or when they fill out their applications for college, when they look at the pull-down block, instead of choosing Christianity or Buddhism or some other ism, they will simply choose the block that says none. As a matter of fact, this is the fastest growing segment of our population right now. And it stands also within Lumberton. I told you last week that I've been looking at a block of our city that's 6,000 homes. And all this new census data has been put into this tool that I've been using. And it says to us there that over the last 10 years, less people are attending or participating in a Christian church than any other time in our history. Also, during that same time frame, less than 2% of those 6,000 homes, less than 2% of those 18 to 29-year-olds have expressed faith, put down roots in a local church. Now, when you consider all the churches in the target area that I'm looking at, mostly within the city limits of Lumberton, 
It's astounding just how few people we've actually reached and discipled and sent into the mission field from that particular age group. This professor began to ask some questions. Why is it that that less and less people are identifying with any religion, and particularly Christianity. And there's two things that he's found as he's talked to these college students, two predominant things they found, or that he's found, in all of the inquiry that he's done. Number one, these college students, maybe in their first semester, without any hesitation, tell this professor that one of the reasons they no longer identify as Christian is because they saw no difference that it made in the lives of their parents. In other words, the only time that Christianity seemed to matter in the majority of those households was on Sunday mornings, maybe three or four times a year, Christmas and Easter. But when it came to Monday morning, when it came to Sunday afternoon, it was almost as though their parents flipped the switch and what mattered on Sunday morning when we sung how great those blessings are and how great God is and, and all those songs that we sung and, and maybe even said amen to the preacher. It seemed as though on Sunday afternoon, none of that really mattered. So what we had was students, kids who grew up in households who saw parents compartmentalize their faith. What that means is, is that their Christian faith had nothing to do with any other area in their life, how they spent their money, what they watched on TV, the movies they consumed, or what they valued in their life. So what those students were saying is, now that I have an opportunity to choose, I'm going to choose something different than what my parents did because apparently it made no difference in their life. The second reason that they gave, and I'm going to read you this paragraph out of the article, is I want you to hear what they have to say, what he found as he polled these students. Quote, this is Timothy Bill writing in the Washington Post. This is a paragraph out of that, out of that uh, article. Quote, but if we look at the reason the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, themselves give for not identifying with any religion, it's clear that they are not driven by only external forces. They are things about religion as they perceive it that are actively driving them away. The two most significant reasons they give according to his poll and a 2018 Pew poll that was done, that they question a lot the religious teachings and they repeatedly don't like the positions the, take, the church takes on particular societal issues. Now, here's what's happening. Over the last 10 years, just look at all the societal issues that the church has had to deal with, whether it be uh, the sanctity of human life, whether it be the, the beauty of marriage between one man and one woman. Currently, what we're having discussions about as far as transgenderism and LGBTQ+, what is gender? So the church has taken a position on those, on those positions. Not all churches. Get to that in a minute. But what has happened with these 18 to 29-year-olds is they're saying, look, I look at the culture and I look at what the church is seeing and I see this great difference. And, and what the church really needs to do, in, in accordance to these 18 to 29-year-olds, is they need to, the church needs to abandon some of its convictions. The church needs to update Maybe how it feels and views certain things that are happening in society, because quite frankly, society has moved on, and it's time for the church to move on with it. So the church needs to quit being so focused on doctrine. The church needs to quit being so focused on this, quote, old, outdated book that has no relevancy to today's culture, end quote. And did you know that there are a lot of churches who are following exactly that advice? There are church staffs, pastors in Christian churches and Baptist churches and Methodist churches, Presbyterian churches and non-denominational churches who are having conversations about how we need to move away from some of our historic moorings of a Christian faith. And maybe we need to quit being so exclusive, Jesus being the only way to salvation. And maybe we need to be open to the idea that maybe other religions and other beliefs lead to a right relationship with God. And maybe, maybe that religion over there is calling God Buddha. Maybe that religion is calling him Allah. Maybe that religion is calling him something else. And maybe, maybe we just need to kind of forsake some of our historic doctrines and what the Bible actually teaches. And maybe we need to update our language. You know what has happened? <laughs> a lot of churches have done exactly that. You know what they found? They're still not reaching those 18 to 29-year-olds. And here's why. Lies will never lead you to prosperity, happiness, joy, or peace. 
Lies that disconnect us from who we are, why we're here, and what our purpose is will never lead to a life of joy and peace. So the idea is, is that right now in our culture, we have false teaching. We have a, a plethora. We have a, a tidal wave. And I see it on blogs. I see it. I hear it in podcasts. I love podcasts. I love when well, I'm driving in a car all this podcast. I'm telling you, there are podcasts that are set up specifically for the purpose of undermining the core doctrines of the faith. And the amazing thing is, is it sounds really good. You can listen to it and it goes, wow, you will come across, with, wow, that, that's, that's really good. When in fact, it's not, there are Christian movies that are coming out. Movies that are labeled Christian that are completely undermining the core of what the, the Bible teaches. Last week we saw how the potter, God, has his hands in the clay, his people. And how that through blessing and trial, God shapes his people in who he wants them to be. And then at times, as God presses into our life, it can be painful. And then it's through blessing and pain that, that God raises us up to who he's called us to be. But I think, I think today you could kind of summarize today's message as a warning that we've got to pay attention to not only how we're living, but also what we're listening to. We, we got to be careful with the, the media that we're consuming, especially when it's labeled Christian, that we might want to consider for a fact that it might not be Christian at all. It might actually be completely undermining your faith. So let's take a look at what God's going to say to Jeremiah and how Jeremiah struggles with what's going on in the southern kingdom. And what we're going to find here is three characteristics of a false teacher. Three characteristics of a false teacher. Now, let me, let me, let me put this down on a lower shelf for us all because I, I need to hear this just as much as you do. I'm not just talking about preachers or Sunday school teachers or, or people who have podcasts with me and is watching. I'm talking about you in the home because if those kids that were raised in those homes, Christian's homes, who went off to mission trips, who, who were involved in the youth, ministry. And in their first semester in college, become atheists? Folks, we, we got to take a look at what we're doing inside the household, including myself. I can't tell you how many parents I've sat and talked with over the years where they can't believe that the kid that they've raised in church has now all of a sudden, sudden decided that they identify as none. No faith, no belief, an atheist. So I want to show you these three characteristics. Put them in verse 9. Concerning the prophets, my heart is broken within me and all my bones shake. I am like a drunken man, like a man overcome by wine because of the Lord and because of his holy words. So Jeremiah, the only prophet in the southern kingdom, he's the only one. Jeremiah is the only one who is speaking the truth. He's the only one speaking what God has told him to speak. And when Jeremiah looks over this southern kingdom, his bones are shaking within him. It's almost as though he can't even stand upright. It's because not only does he see the people of God doing everything in complete disobedience to what God has clearly defined for him, but he sees them going to the temple. He sees them practicing religion. He sees them offering the sacrifices while at the same time on every high hill and under every green tree is an altar to Baal inside the promised land. He says, so when I look, and I hear the words that God says to me, and I look at the prophets, how they're teaching the people incorrectly, how they're misleading the people and deceiving them. And then I, I look at the shepherds, and I see that the shepherds have abandoned their post. And I look at the priests who are serving inside the temple, and their hearts are completely darkened with sin and rebellion. He says, my heart is broke at the state of the land of Judah he says, there's a serious problem here. Notice what he says. He says, verse 10, for the land is full of adulterers because of the curse. The land mourns and the pastures of the wilderness are dried up. Their course is evil and their might is not right. Both prophet and priest are ungodly. Even in my house, I have found evil. So the first characteristic that I want you to see out of the text this morning of a false teacher is a deceptive character, a deceptive character. In other words, whatever podcast you're listening to, whatever book you're reading, you might want to take a moment, step back from that, and consider the person who's teaching what you're listening to, the person who's read, written the book that you are reading. And you might find, and it's easy to find, by the way, social media. You, you can type in any author of any book, 
You can, you can look up any uh, uh, broadcaster of a podcast simply on Facebook, Instagram, and you can see their whole life profile right in front of your eyes. And what you're looking for, is this a person of integrity? Is this a person with character? Is this a person who lives out what they're saying that I should be living out? Is this a person who is simply taking advantage of people to simply gain wealth so they're riding garbage because they know it will sell? Or is this a person who truly lives out what they believe? You see, the prophets in the southern kingdom that God had sent to speak the truth have abandoned the truth. And and what they have done is they are now teaching something exactly opposite of what God was actually saying. So in the southern kingdom, these prophets were not only preaching a false message, but they had a problem in their character. They were deceptive. Look at verse 12. He says, therefore their ways shall be to them like slippery paths in the darkness into which they will be driven and fall. For I will bring disaster upon them in the year of their punishment, declares the Lord. In other words, behind the scenes, these people were absolutely corrupt. These prophets who've been set apart by God and sent to the nation to speak the truth didn't live by the truth. And even if they told the people what they ought to be doing, their character was so corrupt that no one was going to take them seriously anyway. So the only thing these prophets had to say was that which was completely opposite and what tuned in to the people in their flesh and whatever they desired. They were corrupt. They were liars. They were deceivers. Listen, look at the verse 13. It says, in the prophets of Samaria, this would be the northern kingdom that had already fallen to Assyria. God says, in the prophets of Samaria, I saw an unsavory thing. They prophesied to Baal, and they did lead the people astray. But the people, the prophets of Jerusalem, the southern kingdom, I have seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery. They walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from their evil. And all of them, all of them, all of them have become like Sodom and Gomorrah. You remember Sodom and Gomorrah, right? That evil land that was completely, completely in darkness. Living in all kinds of ways that were completely in opposition to God and doing it with arrogance and pride. So what does God do? God burns that place to the ground. Nothing was left. And God says to Jeremiah and to the people, the people that I've set apart about, you're no different than Sodom and Gomorrah? Why is that? Well, it's because in their own personal life, these prophets were living lives of adultery. They were living lives of deceit. Go back up to that verse 12. I want you to see this. Notice he says that that they shall be to them like slippery paths in the darkness. I want to be very clear about this principle I'm getting ready to give to you because if you're living a life of deception, let me tell you where that leads. Now this, this, what I'm getting ready to tell you comes from from Scripture, and it, and it comes from, well, practical ministry over 15 years. So, so take this for what it's worth. If you're trying to live a dual life, you've got one foot over here in some kind of lust or fleshly desire, and you've got one foot over here praising the name of Jesus, and you're trying to live this dualism, this dual life, I want you to hear me hear very clearly what I'm getting ready to tell you. There will be a day, I don't know when it will be, there will be a day where just like on that ice a few weeks ago, how slippery it is, there's going to be a day where you're going to fall flat on your backside and your whole world is going to come crashing down on you. The thing that you've been hiding for so long is going to become open. The, the, the depravity that you've been engaging in is going to be known to your wife or to your husband. It's going to be known to your kids. It's going to be known to the people you do life with. And it is going to destroy your testimony in your life. And all this while, you've been lying and lying and lying, trying to cover your tracks. And maybe this morning, sitting here today, you think you've got it all covered. You think you've got everybody deceived. So you can deal with your flesh and enjoy it while at the same time seeing how great that grace is that God has given to you. God says to the people of the southern kingdom, make sure you understand there's going to be a day when that slippery path, you're going to fall in darkness and you will be driven and you will fall and you will experience disaster. Over the last 15 years of ministry, I have sat and talked with countless numbers of people 
who looked at me and said, you know what? I never thought this would come out. I never thought that my wife or my husband would find out. I never thought that my life would be on display for the world to see, that all of the stuff and the sin that I was participating in, I never thought that it would ever come out. I thought I could, I thought I could keep it hidden. But God has a way, and believers, this is especially true for you. God has a way to make sure that your sin will find you out. You will fall. You will stumble. You will be exposed for who you really are. Carry it to the bank. Know it's going to happen. So wouldn't it be wise today to let the Lord clean our life up? Maybe that's salvation. Maybe that's repentance. But he says here you're walking in a slippery path. And God is not going to allow his son to be defiled that way. God is not going to allow you to drag Jesus through the mud pits of this world. It's not going to happen. He will bring correction into your life. And believer, make no mistake about it, you were bought with a price. If you're trying to live it both ways, God will bring correction into your life. Let me ask you a question. When people think about you, are you known as a person of a character and integrity? I'm not saying perfection. Don't hear me saying perfection because we all fall short of that. But when the chips are down and when there's a hard decision to be made, you're going to make the decision based on some kind of moral compass in your life. For you, believer, it's God's Word and the Holy Spirit living in you. That you're going to do the right thing for the right reason, even if it brings pain into your life. You're going to tell your kids no. And there's going to be times you look at your kids and go, guess what? I'm not your best friend today. I'm not called to be your best friend today. I'm called to be your parent. And as your parent, I'm going to say no to that because it's going to hurt you if I say yes. We're going to call it what it is. Are there decisions in your life that you're making that, that are pure with right motivation? Are you steadfast? Not being blown away by everything coming down the cultural pipe, but steadfast, consistent. What was right 20 years ago in your life is right today, and what was wrong 20 years ago is wrong today. Haven't changed up your ethics? Or are you a person who's honest, gentle, kind? You know, we got tax season coming up. What a great time to have integrity and character. Look, I don't like paying taxes any more than you do. <laughs> I don't. But honest and integrity. When, when somebody calls your house, your kids are there, maybe you're, you're playing a game or something, and you know, your, your spouse answers the phone, and it's somebody you don't really want to talk to, and you look at your spouse and go, I'm not here. <laughs> None of y'all do that. I, I got that. But just somebody out there might do that every now and then. I'm not here. That five-year-old is sitting right there watching when you do that. No, Dad, you're here. <laughs> you're right there. Now, that seems rather simplistic, doesn't it? But why do those 18 to 29-year-olds check out in that first year of college? It's stuff like that. You see, the way you can tell a false teacher is there's deception in their life. They don't serve people. They take advantage of people. Now, I'm not talking about your reputation. You know the difference between reputation and character, right? Reputation is what people think about you, what people say about you. Character is who you really are. It's who you really are, it's who you really are when the lights are off and everybody's went to bed and you have a laptop sitting in front of you. It's who you are when you've got to respond on Facebook to something that hurts your feelings and you respond with incredible anger. It's who you are when... You're off on that business trip, and your spouse is not with you. It's who you are when this new movie comes out on Netflix for mature audiences only, and you get where I'm going. So we have a deceptive person. We have a deceptive Character. We have someone who is intentionally misleading. Let me move you to the next one. A deceptive character, but we also have a destructive message. A deceptive character and a destructive message. Look at verse 16. 
Verse 16, he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, It shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, No disaster will come upon you. We've got Jeremiah, the only guy in the southern kingdom who is saying what God once said to the people. Now, Jeremiah's message is not being accepted very well because Jeremiah's message runs contradictory to where the people are living. So we have a whole nother plethora, a whole bunch of prophets who claim to speak on behalf of God, telling the people, hey, don't worry about your adultery. Don't worry about your dishonesty. Don't worry about how you're living. Don't worry about the Ten Commandments. Don't worry about having other other false gods. Don't worry about mistreating your parents. Don't worry about taking advantage of the poor. Every one of those connected to the Ten Commandments. So you have Jeremiah, the lone voice, saying, this is wrong, this is evil, God is going to destroy you, and you got a whole bunch of other people Say, no, 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 we're fine, we're okay. We can have it both ways. We can worship God in the temple, and we can have an altar to Baal over here under this tree. It's all good. Boy, that sounds remotely familiar, does it not? I am shocked as I look back over these many years of ministry. I, I, I can't tell you how many times this has happened, and I guess I'm still not... I don't think my shock has went down anymore. I'm still just blown away by it. So somebody will contact me, and they've got some major issue that they're dealing with in their life, and they, they know at least that there's something wrong with what they're doing. So before they get to me, they'll, they'll talk to a psychotherapist. They'll do an online session with some person with a PhD beside their name. And maybe they'll have a few sessions. And, and then when they're listening to those sessions, this person that they're talking to is saying, hey, what you're doing, what you're involved in, it's not wrong. Quit thinking of right and wrong. Quit thinking about that. Quit thinking about these moral absolutes because there are no moral absolutes. There's nothing wrong per se in what you're doing. So what you need to do is you just need to manage that. You need to make sure it doesn't control your life. But but don't talk in ways that say it's wrong. And, and this guilt that you're feeling, you need to not feel that guilt because that guilt is misplaced because there really is no right and wrong. Folks, I'm telling you, I know you're looking at me like, there are people saying that? Yes. There are therapists getting paid big money to say those things. So this person who may be a believer hears this and they're like, well, that, you know, that doesn't really make sense, but okay, maybe, maybe that's what I need to do. Maybe, maybe pornography is not a bad thing. Maybe I just need to manage it a little bit better. Well, by the time they get to me, they start talking, and I can see the struggle, I can hear it in their voice. I, 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 can, I usually can pick up on the fact that they're already, you know, Google searching stuff, and maybe they've been to a therapist who, who has no connection to Christian faith at all, doesn't even believe in moral truth, and I can see the conflict. And then I say to them, and it's usually that moment of shock, I look at them and I go, no, the guilt is placed right where it needs to be. No, the pornography is absolutely, positively wrong, and it will destroy your life. No, it is not a good idea to try to manage it. The best thing to do is cut it completely out of your life, and Jesus and the Holy Spirit will help you do that. And it's that, that, that moment, like we call it, that come to Jesus moment, and they're looking at me going, nobody else is saying that, and I'm exactly right. Nobody's going to tell you that except someone who's grounded in God's Word. It doesn't make me better than them. It doesn't make me on some kind of high shelf. It just means that I believe God's Word. I believe it has something to say about your life, and I believe there are moral absolutes, both right and wrong. And if you come to me, I'm going to try to help you. But helping you is not telling you that you're okay. Helping me is not telling me that I'm okay. Helping you is saying, hey, the bridge is out. The road you're on, the bridge is out. You keep going down that bridge, and there's going to be trouble in your life. How can you tell a false teacher? A false teacher is someone who's giving out a destructive message. I, I'm amazed to see and to hear that people whose lives are already destroyed by either substance or some other vice 
that that therapist looks them in the eye and says, oh, you're okay? No, we're not okay. The heart is desperately wicked. Who can know the depths of it? Even some claim to speak on behalf of God. I had one situation. It's been several years ago now. And I'm not violating any trust here. I'm, I just think you need to hear this. Had a couple that um, one, of the, one of the people in the marriage, one of the, the husband had stepped out and committed adultery. And they had sought counsel from a pastor. And this is one of those times I had to pick myself up off the floor. I couldn't believe it. This man in the, in the marriage chose to step outside of the marriage and pursue a relationship over a six-month period of time. Lied about it, deceived everybody, hit it pretty well until it all came out. Remember that slippery path I was telling you about? It all came out. They seek a, a pastor that they knew not in this area, matter of fact, not even in the state. Sought out a pastor, and this pastor, here's what the pastor the counsel that the pastor gave. He, he looks at the wife and he says to the wife, it's your fault. It hurts me even now. Because I remember looking into that wife's eyes when she came into my office with this. I couldn't believe it. That pastor told the wife that it was her fault because if she would dress a little more provocatively around the house, that this would have never happened. ungodly counsel. No, the adultery is his fault. He chose to step out on the marriage. Not saying there weren't trouble led up to that, but I'm telling you that moment of adultery, that's on you, bro. You own that. Because you had a hundred different options you could have went with, but you chose to chase after Jezebel. So let's put this in the right frame here. You've sinned, God's grace is sufficient. He'll forgive you, restore you, but let's make it very clear. Wife, his choice of adultery is not on your back. Folks, that's the kind of counsel and culture that we're getting. And you got to be careful with the messages that you're taking in. Just because someone says they're a Christian therapist, you might need to step back from that and say, okay, are they? Do they believe in moral rights and wrong? What kind of message are they proclaiming. And when that message takes you away from God's word, it's time to find a new counselor. Well, that probably struck a chord. A destructive message. Let me illustrate this a little bit more. In 1920, the Nazi regime was rising in power and as a political party, they were trying to take control of the, the parliament, their senate, I guess you could say, in Germany. And they, they put together a platform of, of what they believed in and how they would lead politically. And you got to keep in mind in the background, at this time in Germany, there are 20 million Catholics and 40 million Protestants. The church was thriving in Germany. As the lead-up is coming to the rise of Hitler, the rise of Nazism, and the power that they would garner. So part of the platform of the Nazi party in 1920, they knew they had to appeal to Protestants and Catholics because there were so many of them. The, the majority of people were identified with one or the other. So they knew they had to appeal. So they knew they couldn't come out with a message that was too abrupt or too abstract or too far away. They knew they couldn't just abandon Protestantism and Catholicism. They knew they couldn't just abandon them and throw them to the side, so they had to appeal to them. So they put this in their platform. You'll see it on the screen behind me. I want to read it to you. This was in their platform. Quote, we demand the freedom of all religious confessions in the state insofar as they do not jeopardize the state's existence or conf conflict with the manners and moral sentiments of the Germanic race. The party as such upholds the point of view of a positive Christianity without tying itself confessionally to any one confession. 
It combats the Jewish materialistic spirit at home and abroad and is convinced that a permanent recovery of our people can only be achieved from within, from within on the basis of the common good before the individual good, end quote. Now, if you read that closely, well, let, me, let me start here. If you just kind of read over it, it's like, well, that's not too bad. I see religious freedom here. That's a good thing. So we can continue to, to go to church and practice our faith. That's a good thing. And, and I see here that we're going to have a common good nationally. That, that's, that's good. And, and the fact is, leading up to the rise of Nazism and Hitler, you will find that the churches didn't push back. Now, there were a few, a guy by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and a few others who spoke against Nazism. Dietrich Bonhoeffer lost his life for trying to overtake or overthrow the Hitler regime. But he spoke very clearly that it was an evil. But notice clearly in that paragraph, notice the first thing. You can have all of the religious freedom you want as long as it doesn't conflict with the Germans' state of existence and what they believe is right and wrong. So yeah, have your religion in your church, but don't bring that out here and begin to have a problem with how we're leading the nation. That's problem number one. Number two, the party as such upholds the view that you can have a positive Christianity, just don't tie yourself to all these confessionals. In other words, you can have your Christianity, just don't be so doctrinally rigid. Because remember, the Germans are the ones who get to decide what is right and wrong. And then, of course, we have anti-Semitism right here in the paragraph. Combats the Jewish materialistic spirit at home. In other words, the Jews are the enemy. And then we get to that last sentence that we've got to focus on the common good of the nation rather than the common good of the individual. Well, now that's going to play out very interestingly, is it not? Because eventually they're going to come to the idea that there's got to be a final solution to the Jewish race. You know what that final solution is? To destroy them. To kill them all. Now the reason I put this on the screen is I, I want you to see how a little bit of error and a little bit of truth can destroy you. This little bit of truth and this little bit of error led to churches being silent even while they know that there were concentration camps like Birkenau. They knew they existed and said nothing about it. A destructive message where truth and error is mixed together and then finally, I want you to see a defiled source. So we have a deceptive character, a destructive message, and a defiled source. Pick it up in verse 18. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and to hear his word, or has paid attention to his word and listened? Look at verse 21. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people. And they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. These prophets who are out there saying, thus says what God says, we're saying what God says, we're doing something that I know you've probably had happen in your life that just really got you upset. Have you ever had someone say that you said something that you didn't say? Maybe it's your job or maybe it's your school you know, rumor mill starts going that you said something about somebody that you never even said and somebody's just stirring the pot and being deceptive and have their own ends in this. And you, you try to mop that mess up. You keep saying over and over, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. That's not who I am. And maybe it actually hurts your character, even though it's a lie. Well, imagine for a moment how God feels about what's happening in the Southern Kingdom. There are people out there in the streets, many of them, who are looking at the people saying, thus says the word of the Lord. They are putting words in God's mouth that he never said. And the only, the only conclusion you could come from if you were in the southern kingdom is that God is capricious. He's, well, he's under, he, he don't know what he's going to do today or tomorrow. Because on the one hand, God says, have no other gods. But yet the prophets are saying, oh yeah, you can have those gods. God's saying, don't commit adultery. And, and the prophets are saying, hey, go commit adultery. If it makes you feel good, you go ahead and do it. On the one hand, God says, don't mistreat the poor. And, and these people are like, don't worry about the poor. You live for you. And you would have to imagine that the people are desperately confused about who is this God that we worship? Because the prophets 
were speaking on his behalf, but they had not stood in his counsel. They had not been filled with his words. They were not praying to him. They were not worshiping him. And in essence, they had abandoned God, but yet they're still speaking on his behalf. A defiled source. So where is the source of their message? You don't have to turn over there, but over in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Timothy was dealing with the same thing, false teachers. Paul writes to Timothy and says, hey, Timothy, stand strong upon God's word. But then Paul says something very interesting. He says that, in essence, that the fountainhead of all false teaching is demonic. That makes sense, doesn't it? Because if you go back to the Garden of Eden, what do we have there? We have deception. We have Satan in the form of a snake speaking to Adam and Eve and telling them, did God really say? I mean, Satan's been doing that. He's not changed tactics. It's the same tactic. But here's the thing. He gathers to himself false teachers, false prophets, people who speak on behalf of God, who've never stood in his counsel, never read his word, don't even consider the doctrines of the faith, and are out there spouting all kinds of foolishness, all in the name of Christianity, and Satan has as his goal to mislead you, to mislead your family, to mislead your kids. The idea that we can somehow name the name of Christ, that we are one of his followers, and yet live just like the world, that is a lie. The idea that, that, you, can, that you can just show up every now and then to worship, and, and that somehow God is just going to be okay with that, and, and somehow never share the gospel, never be in great commission work, never open your Bible, never pray, is, is a false lie. It's a false Narrative, it's a, it's a lie. I can remember when one of my dad, when my dad was the sickest I'd ever seen him. And I, my dad, he's 84, been a farmer his whole life, worked hard his whole life, still to this day working hard. And as a farmer, you get injured a lot. And man, dad had some serious injuries down through his life. And um, but I, I remember this one time, he was so sick. He was sick for about... It was definitely longer than a month. I think I might have said three months, but I can't remember. I know it was longer than a month, but it was weeks and weeks. I'm not talking about like head, chest, cold. I'm talking about stomach sick. He was really sick. I think he lost like 10 or 15 pounds, maybe in 20 pounds in a very short period of time because of, well, you know. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you why he got sick. I was 12 years old, and we were um, down on a piece of property that my family still owns this day. It's, it's my great-grandfather's property. It was my dad's grandfather's property, and we were cutting timber, and uh, there's a stream that runs right through the property, and we were pretty far up in the woods, and the truck was down here, and we were cutting timber and dragging the logs out, and the, our water cooler was down at the truck. Well, Dad gets thirsty because it was hot. Well, there's a creek, there's a stream right here, right? How convenient. Well, just as he had done as a kid, because he grew up down there, he jumped in the creek, and I, re- I can see it right now in my mind's eye. He jumped in the creek and just started drinking water right out of that stream. Think anything about it. Gets back out of the stream, picks up the chainsaw, and we keep on working. Well, literally by that evening, he is sick as a dog. I'm talking just violently ill. You see, the water, although it looked nice and clear and was cool and refreshing, it was contaminated. And the reason it was contaminated is just right upstream. I can't remember if he knew this or not, If you knew it, it makes it even worse, but just right upstream on the other person's property was a cattle farm. And that creek ran right through the middle of that pasture, and cows love water, but they don't just stand in water to bathe in it, which is bad enough. They do a lot of other things in it. And then that flows right down the stream, and my dad is literally drinking, well, whatever's running downstream from those cows. Be careful where you drink from. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you let in. Just because as Christian in the title doesn't mean it doesn't need to be evaluated, measured, checked. Just because music says it's Christian music doesn't mean that it's doctrinally sound. Just because a novel or a book says it's by a Christian author doesn't mean that the content is even close to what it means to follow Jesus. There could be a reason why 
you're having just a lack of joy and a lack of peace, it could be connected directly to what you're consuming. Because just as it made my dad physically ill when he drunk that water, as you're consuming these things that are impure, trying to justify it, justify it because it says Christian on it, it may be making you spiritually sick and you might need to check the source. And when you look at that source, you may find out that that source, well, the person who's writing this mess or producing this mess has a character that is completely opposite of everything that God says. You could hear their message and find out that their message actually contradicts the gospel itself. You, you might want to check their source. Where are they getting their information from? If they're always saying that you're okay, we're all okay, or we're all okay, that no, there's never anything you need to change in your life, that you're fine just the way you are, that there's never anything that you're doing wrong. There is no moral right or moral wrong. Folks, can I tell you, that is a poisoned source. So, the world is producing lots and lots and lots of prophets. I would, I would dare say that the false prophets and the false teachers are outnumbering those who are teaching truth probably three or four to one when you consider social media and all the other platforms. So all the stuff that they're producing, you might want to check the person writing it. How's their character? You might want to check their message. Does it align with God's word? And you might want to check what is their source? Is it culture or is it the kingdom? And it may be that you need to get a new therapist. It may be that you need to find counsel somewhere else. It may be that you need to cut some things out of your life. God defines that as repentance. And we end where we began. His grace is sufficient. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website, hydepark.church or on social media on Facebook and Instagram at Hyde Park Baptist.